You don't really need to know, but probably should. I'm Kira Revan, and this, this is the Sunday Seven. On today's episode of the Sunday Seven, the social cost of a green future, the Northern Lights are making sound now, and the scoop on NASA's first UFO conference. But first, it was in this date, 1872, a process for making Vaseline was painted by Robert Cheesebro in New York City. I'm Gertjen uh, Oskam. 12 years ago, I got an accident and had a spinal cord injury. So I'm not able to move my legs anymore. Gert-Jan Oxum is learning to walk again after a cycling accident left him paralysed. This progress is thanks to a device connecting his brain to his spinal cord, creating what's been called a digital bridge. Here's Professor Gregory Cortin, a neuroscientist at the Swiss Federal Institute of Technology. To walk the brain must send a command to the region of the spinal cord responsible for the control of movements. When there is a spinal cord injury, this communication is interrupted. Our idea was to re-establish this communication with a digital bridge, like an electronic communication between the brain and the region of the spinal cord that is still intact that can control the leg movement. Oxon took part in a 2018 trial which revealed stimulating the spine with electrical impulses helped injured people walk again. His original spinal implant was paired with two more in his skull with grids resting against the brain membrane. Now when he thinks about walking, electrodes on his spinal cord are told to get busy. Neurosurgeon Jocelyn Blotch carried out the delicate procedure. We do two different surgeries. There is one surgery at the level of the brain. We do two little craniotomy, put electrodes in order to record the brain signal. And another surgery at the level of the spinal cord where we put electrodes on the top of the spinal cord at the place that is responsible for leg movement. So between these two, there is communication, an electrical communication, a digital bridge that is then reactivated the legs. The Wi-Fi signal is decoded by a computer in a backpack that then transmits info to the pulse generator. It took about 40 sessions for Oxam to regain voluntary movement of his legs and feet, and he can now even walk short distances without the device if he uses crutches. Within five to 10 minutes, I could control my uh, hips. The brain uh, implant picked up what I was doing with my hips, so that was like the best outcome, I think, for everyone. He can even climb stairs. I can really build functional things from it. Just an example, I'm training 10 years to stand up with a friend having a beer. And that's something I think people don't realize. We're all embracing renewable technologies, but how much do we actually know about what's powering this green revolution? Cobalt is crucial to making the batteries in electric cars, laptops and mobile phones, but most of it is sourced in the Congo, where mining is dangerous, corruption and violence is rife, and banned child labour is still common. Any company that claims it's cobalt from the Congo is ethically sourced is either dealing in falsehood or recklessly ignorant of the truth on the ground. That was Siddharth Kara, author of Colbert Red, How the Blood of the Congo Powers Our Lives. The DRC supplies 70% of the world's cobalt and we're going to need way more to transition to a low-carbon planet. On top of the human right violations and environmental destruction, profits from these mines go to international corporations or the central government, not local people. Mining assets in particular have often been auctioned off for pennies on the dollar to benefit the political elite and mining royalties and taxes often disappear into the bank accounts of kleptocrats 
rather than being redistributed towards the people of the Congo. Unless we seriously recycle old batteries and develop socially responsible cobalt alternatives, batteries may run out for good. Still to come on the Sunday 7, AI is coming for us all. And are the Northern Lights trying to talk to us? My worst fears are that we cause significant, we, the field, the technology, the industry, cause significant harm to the world. If this technology goes wrong, it can go quite wrong, and we want to be vocal about that. A fortnight ago, OpenAI CEO Sam Altman cautioned Congress about the threat of artificial intelligence. And he, along with 350 industry leaders, are already upgrading that warning. They say that if AI is left unchecked, it poses a, quote, risk of extinction. And by that, he means human extinction. Andrew Briggs is a professor of nanomaterials at Oxford and also signed the doomsday letter. The day might come when their capacity vastly exceeds that of humans and humans lose the ability to stay in control of what it is that the machine is seeking to optimize. And at the time, it seemed in the far future. Now, it may be, as it were, galloping towards us. This debate isn't limited to the tech industry. The repercussions of unchecked AI development is also prompting top-level policy discussion. This is what PM Rishi Sunak had to say this week. AI clearly can bring massive benefits to the economy and society, and you've seen that recently, where it's helping paralyzed people to walk, discovering new antibiotics, but we need to make sure that this is done in a way that is safe and is secure. But don't assume that the AI community is all aligned on this. People need to calm down. Professor Pedro Domingos has spent his career studying AI. The best way to do it is to make it more intelligent because it's stupidity that's dangerous, not intelligence. The worry that people have is that AI will get too intelligent and we will not be able to control it. But intelligence and control are completely different things. We can have an infinitely intelligent AI that we still control very well. We've heard of the speed of light, but this is the sound of it. To be specific, it's the solar songs of the northern and southern lights. For the first time, a process called autification has enabled scientists to show people what the incredible spectacle could sound like. Dr. Martin Archer, a space plasma physicist, explained the process to ITV News. What you're hearing here is essentially a giant magnetic musical instrument that occurs out in space. It gets plucked by the solar wind that comes out from the sun and it causes these sort of reverberations, vibrations within our own magnetic shield. And what you're hearing is a satellite measuring that that we have turned into audible sound. The sun is bursting with energy and when solar flares charge through space, they can create the oscillating curtains of light near the northern and southern poles. And contrary to popular belief, thanks Ridley Scott, space actually does have a sound. People say there's no sound in space because they think space is a vacuum, that it's absolutely empty, but it's actually pervaded with lots of particles. They're just very, very spaced out. Sound is actually possible. It's just not audible. Until now, that is, and NASA hopes that by sharing this sound across the world, we might hear a pattern that could unlock the mysteries that still surround the Northern Lights. Still to come on the Sunday 7, UFOs become just FOs, and London to Sydney in two hours, anyone? Right after this.
Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. You're listening to The Sunday 7. Follow us for your weekday news espresso. Or maybe try our UK edition. It's all in the usual places. As the world prepares for wide-scale commercial space travel, the UK is taking a giant leap from mankind and hopes a suborbital flight that could get you from London to Sydney in just two hours is getting closer to reality. Dr. Rebecca Allen explained how it would work with Nine News Australia. What's incredible about this type of travel is that when you're up touching outer space, uh, above what we call the Kármán line, then that means you don't have to travel through all this bothersome air and you can actually go thousands of kilometres an hour, making that 17,000 kilometer trip from wow. Sydney to London a lot shorter. But it's not going to be the comfiest of journeys. You may be wishing for that 24-hour slog with a crying baby on the next row. After you hear what aerospace physiologist Dr. Ross Pollock has to say, G-Force could really ruin that in-flight glass of bubbles. We did have quite a lot of people experience visual changes, so you do get some uh, peripheral vision loss, so you get a bit of tunneling of vision and potentially greying out. A few people did experience blackout. But if you survive that, the benefits are sky high, as is the price. Right now, with one space flight costing hundreds of thousands of dollars and only carrying a handful of passengers at a time, they'll need to move hundreds to make it worthwhile. I'll stick to Ryanair for now, I suppose. New York City is sinking. A new study has revealed that the city that never sleeps is sinking under its own weight. Up to 1.7 trillion tonnes of concrete, steel and glass are contributing to a process which is slowly causing it to drop into the sea, which itself is rising. The dominant cause is the uh, glacial effect from the last ice age that pushed down the mid-continent and caused a bulge along the eastern coastline. And uh, when the ice melted, that reversed everything. So the mid-continent's rising and the eastern seaboard is sinking about one to two millimeters a year. That's the primary signal we see. Geophysicist Tom Parsons says it's a natural process occurring wherever ground is compressed, but the massive weight of the city itself is hurrying things along. We have different kinds of soils across New York City, including artificial fill that was put in to enhance some of the land areas, and that can uh, sink just under its own weight because it's so poorly consolidated. And if you build on that, of course, that exacerbates it. The rate of compression varies across the city, whilst the skyscrapers of Manhattan are built mostly on rocks, meaning it compresses more slowly. Other areas have been built on loose soil, meaning it's sinking faster. You can relax for now, though. It'll likely take hundreds of years before the Statue of Liberty needs to learn the backstroke. One. 
Have you ever wondered if we really are alone in the universe? Well, for the first time in its history, NASA held the first public meeting looking into just that. A year after formally launching a study into UFOs, known as UAPs, or Unidentified Anomalous Phenomena, a panel of experts came together to explain some mysterious sightings. This is a newly released uh, video. You'll notice there are two dots moving back and forth. There is a plane at the bottom that's moving across the screen, and now there are three dots moving back and forth. Some have been explained, like the erratically moving lights captured by U.S. pilots, which turned out to be distant aircraft. The reason they couldn't catch them is because after further analysis, it was shown that those objects were actually much farther away from the P-3 than they thought. And in fact, when we went even deeper, looked at air traffic control data, we were able to match those to aircraft on a major uh, flight corridor heading into a major airport for landing. This is the kind of thing that can spoof and or provide misperception of both very highly trained pilots as well as sensors. But some remained unanswered, like the flying metal orbs. Uh, this is a spherical orb, metallic, in the Middle East, 2022, by an MQ-9. This is a typical example of the thing that we see most of. We see these all over the world, and we see these making very interesting apparent maneuvers. For the remaining sightings and the ones to come, the panel of experts led by Davis Burgess says better quality data and recordings are needed to get to the bottom of it all. To summarize some of the things that we've learned, the current data collection efforts regarding UAPs are unsystematic and fragmented across various agencies, often using instruments. The truth could be out there. This has been the Sunday 7. However you're listening, do us a favor and hit the follow button. We'll be back tomorrow at 7 a.m. with a regular Smart 7 Ireland edition. Have a great rest of the weekend. Written, produced and published by Daft Doris. Hi, this is Kira from the Smart 7 Ireland edition. Just to let you know, we're pausing this podcast from Friday the 25th of August, but you can still get up to speed in just seven minutes if you search the Smart 7 and catch up with our UK edition. Thanks for listening.